Broadcasting live from Hartford, Connecticut, it's the Hartford Yacht Goats Radio Show. Hey, do you like smooth music and fun conversation? Well, if so, stay tuned for this episode that you are sure to love. Hey, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the episode, the Hartford Yacht Goats radio show episode. This is Dave, and I'm all alone. Uh, Cass and Eric are in a bunker somewhere, and I, they could call in, but I, I think, I'm not sure I really want to know what they're they're up to anyways. So um, I would say, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, what was me? What was me? Uh, and I, I, I reached out to... Yacht Rock Twitter and said, "Is anybody is anybody uh, lonely and want to call in to keep me company on this show?" And who responded? But uh, but Ryan, A.K.A. Camino eighty four, and if I'm not mistaken, he is on the phone as we speak. How's it going there, Ryan? It's it's going. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the phone on a podcast for the first. I wait. Can I do the? I got to do the classic podcast trope, which is, can you curse on this show? Oh yeah, there's no limit. <laughs> there is in this day. I, I mean, in this day and age, uh, any podcast that tries to keep it clean uh, over this uh, time period, uh, I don't know what they're thinking. So yeah. So now, as as Camino eighty four, you've been recording music for for quite a while. Uh, you have a, a new album that's out. The it's called literally the all new Camino '84. Isn't that right? Yeah. Right. And I think I read on Spotify, it said quote quote uh, Steely Dan for millennials dot dot dot. Maybe if Steely Dan was worse unquote. So that I, that sounds like you being humble there. But uh, I, I I listened to the album. I definitely hear like that uh, that Steely Dan feel to it. Was was that like as you were writing the songs? I, I mean. All right, so obviously Steely Dan, but just like maybe Yacht Rock in general, were, were you feeling a little bit of that influence as you were putting the album together? Yeah, maybe lyrically more than anything. Oh, yeah? I don't know. I, yeah. I think it kind of like, uh, it sneaks in to the chords, like all the chord progressions and everything, but yep. uh, it wasn't like a conscious influence on this record so much. Okay. But, you know, obviously I listen to a lot of Yacht Rock, so sure. it sneaks its way in there. Yeah, so like... You did, you had done Yacht Rock breaks, number one and two, and now that that sound, seemed like it, it basically entailed you finding, like, like how many songs per album, how many samples per album, did, roughly, did you have to go get to put that together? That's a really good question. I want to say, I want to say it's somewhere around 50 or 60 yeah, on each. Um, I might be kind of making that up, but I honestly... It's such a blur at this point. I couldn't tell you for sure. <laughs> I was trying to guess because I was like, okay, so yeah, on, on Yacht Rock Breaks, which, by the way, if, if you're not familiar with Camino 84's Yacht Rock Breaks, just go Google it and you'll find there's a way you can listen to it online. And it's literally just s- snippets, uh, samples of like instrumental sections all looped into each other uh, for about 30 minutes of just Yacht Rock yacht rock music or instrumental music and uh you know it's basically like like dude you must have just found one thing after another and 
after another, after another, after another, and, and uh, put them all together and uh, made just made a super smooth, made two, because there's part one and part two, two super smooth instrumental albums. That uh, Yeah. I, I love that. The first one was a lot of fun, and it's just like, I can't remember where I got the idea, but I just thought it would be amusing to do a breaks tape pulling from Yacht Rock. Um, but then by the second one, it was like surprisingly well received the first time around. There were a lot of kids uh, with a lot of interest in it, but maybe did not know a lot about Yacht Rock going into it, which was cool. Uh, and then by the second one, I was like consciously trying to show off. So I was like, man, I got to go out and find a bunch of stuff that nobody's ever heard before. No one's going to be able to find <laughs> um, and went to some pretty, pretty weird corners of the record collecting world, uh, literally globally. Uh, to to dig up some stuff that I think people are still really scratching their heads trying to trying to figure out what they are. Well, I, I mean, I know like I have I have yacht rock breaks on cassette, and, uh, and when I listen to it, I'm just like, man, there's maybe occasionally songs I'm like, I, I know that one, but and I listen to a fair amount of yacht rock, and like I I have to say, the stuff I recognize is very far and few few between, so it's a and it's all, and it's not like it's it suffers from that. I mean, it's it's all great stuff. So it's it's, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that stuff. So in other words, it sounds like there may not be a yacht rock breaks three, or just let it rest for a while. I suppose maybe one day. <laughs> I mean, yacht rock breaks two took a lot. It took a lot. Yeah. So yeah, it was impressive. We'll see. Uh, for your new album though you put out have you been and you've been pushing it a lot so i didn't know if before uh you know before this whole uh virus thing took over it, i didn't know if you'd been like gigging out with it a lot in in the boston area or no not really no oh, really? um i mean part of it most of it is just my own aversion to mm-hmm. gigging as a live band at this point like i I play drums, but I don't own a drum kit. Okay. Um, so, like, every time we play any sort of gig, besides, like, the logistical nightmares and losing money that comes along with, you know, gigging as a small band <laughs> in Boston in general, sure. there's also, like, oh, man, I got to rent a drum set, and then I got to figure out how to get the drum set from the rental place to the venue, and I don't, you know, own a car. Yeah. So, uh, gigs are fewer and far between. We, we try to do a couple a year, but generally... It's just a, uh, it's quite a hassle, and sure. I, you know, I have so much more of an audience online, where I think Boston is maybe, I don't know, like twelfth or thirteenth on the list of top cities where like folks are actually listening to the stuff. So, um, I just live like a hermit and uh, promo it online. That's 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 kind of pretty good actually these days. I mean, uh... but yeah, I think I miss the yacht goats up here. Yeah. I want to say September of last year, maybe there you you had a a night around Harvard Square. Yeah, we were at Harvard Square and uh, with the Boston Typewriter Orchestra, and yeah. uh, that was quite a, quite a quite a uh, an evening for sure. And uh, yeah, I totally missed that out of town. We didn't do a good job of promoting it, but we, we're still talking to the Boston Typewriter Orchestra, and they, they actually we were, we had sort of had something set up where we were going to get something together in Hartford uh, for them to come down. Uh, it's obviously kind of been put on hold now for a little bit, but uh, right. at some point, if we come out the other side of the of the tunnel uh, here, then we could we could. I'm pretty sure 
they'll be coming down here and then at some point uh ideally they'll have another show up in you know the boston area and we, we can go up and uh do our cassette djing is there as well so you know maybe uh, sometime in the future we could run each yeah. run into each other live and, and that'd be cool um so now when 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 you first said hey yeah i want i want to come on the show and i was thinking about okay that's that's awesome uh, obviously you know a person who has, who just clearly has an affinity for yacht rock um i was thinking about what kind of stuff we could talk about and i knew as you as a musician who has done some work uh you know solo on, on your own as well as working with some other people i was thinking about well who you know who in the yacht rock universe do i know who made maybe like an album that i know you know the individual artists did a lot of the writing music parts uh, for it and uh, the first thing that came to mind was one of my favorite albums in all of yacht rock uh, bobby caldwell's the cat in the hat and so then kind of light bulb went off and I said, oh, wouldn't it be awesome to have uh, Camino 84 <laughs> slash Ryan come on and we'll just listen to Cat in the Hat and just talk about it as it's playing. And this is something that I had done a couple episodes ago with my friend Eric from Canada uh, and listened to Mark Jordan's Mannequin. And at first I was like, uh, I don't know. I didn't know if that episode I was like. Was it was it too like inside baseball? But then I put it out, and a lot of people really kind of responded to it well. So I said, okay, hey, you know what? Let's uh, let's do it again. Let's play an album and chat about it as it's playing, and just have some fun. And before I start playing the music, let me let me set up this album. I think that's kind of important because uh, I don't want to just jump into the music. So I did write down a couple of things here. So now Bobby Caldwell. Let's talk about you know what what. Where, what, where he was at when Cat in the Hat came out. So this guy, he grew up in Miami, I guess his, uh, from what I understand on Wikipedia. His mom was a real estate agent, she, and actually Bob Marley was one of her clients. I don't know. That doesn't really relate to anything, but nonetheless, he grew up in Miami. Uh, he must have been around, you know, movers and shakers with, with his mom being a you know fancy real estate agent. At age 12, he started playing guitar and piano. By 17, he moved to L.A., when I think about what I was doing at 17, the idea of me moving to L.A. is ridiculous. <laughs> like, I would be dead. Um, so then by 1978, he recorded his debut album. You know, he, he's a talented guy. Bobby Caldwell is, like, ridiculously talented. So he records his debut album because he was you know, already getting success. Record executives heard it, and they said, well, there's no hit on it. We, and they were about to reject it. He goes back in the studio for just two days writes a song, records it, comes up, comes out with What You Won't Do For Love. Biggest hit, right? Like, that, that's, that is his, his song. So you, they, um, they love it. They put the album out. Uh, they don't put his face on the cover. And there's always that story about they didn't put it on there, be, uh, his face on the cover, because they didn't want the audience to know he was white. That, they, wanted, they, they felt that, you know, he sounded like R&B. Uh, he... Ended up going on tour with Natalie Cole, and I think there's always stories about him coming out to sing and being like, "That's Bobby Caldwell." <laughs> Didn't know that. So, um, so he, you know, he had that success. He was on tour, and he's ready for his sophomore album. It's 1980, and he goes in, and it sounds like he is, you know, he is. Oops, let me just adjust something here. He is ready to to show what he is about. So he brings in a horn section. 
He brings in a rhythm section. He has a couple of drummers on this album. Andy Newmark, who played with Sly and the Family Stone, John Lennon, Eric Clapton, David Bowie. So, I mean, Andy, Andy Newmark, that's no joke, right? Ed Green, who plays on everything. And then another drummer, Harold Say, who didn't really do as much, but actually worked with Bobby Caldwell a bit on future albums. Uh, brought in the bass player, George, quote, Chocolate Perry. Uh, and that bass player did a lot, actually a lot of work with like Stephen Stills and Crosby Stills and Nash, but also did tons of R&B albums. He played on You Should Be Dancing by the Bee Gees. And then Bobby Caldwell's piano guitar, vocals, I think vibraphone, a few other things. Uh, so album comes out and success wise, it's kind of lukewarm. Uh, now, I think it's an awesome album, but I, I wanted to read about what what. Um, some of the reactions were so on like all music it said this is a sophisticated songwriting lots of soulful vocals not a bad song on the album but no hit and I think that's probably partially why it it, it was not as successful because there was not you know a main hit on it now I personally and and Ryan I don't know if you have an opinion on this either sometimes like those albums where there's like the huge big single right in the middle of it Sometimes those singles can kind of be like turds in the punch bowl. Like, you know, you've heard them a million times and you may like the rest of the album. But then when that song comes up that's overplayed, you're like, okay, I kind of heard it before. Whereas when there's a song, when there's an album that's just kind of consistent, really well done, great songs, and there's no like huge mainstream hit on it, sometimes that I, I enjoy those more. I, that's, that's just me personally. <laughs> but, um, Another online review said, <laughs> this is more critical, said it was like boring Stevie Wonder and boring Bee Gees. So like, if you're expecting a Stevie Wonder or a Bee Gees album when you, got, when you get Bobby Caldwell, I guess you're going in with some bad expectations. And then, he, and then that reviewer also said, it felt like Steely Dan's Gaucho. And that was supposed to be a criticism. So like, I'm like, well, obviously the, who, this, this reviewer person is... Uh, has terrible taste so so uh and does not appreciate good good yacht rock so it's also I, not like gaucho yeah i mean when i listen back to it i there's there's certain instrument instrumental passages like scattered where i'm like oh yeah you know that's slick it's slick like the way gaucho is but it's it's like it doesn't stand out like gaucho in any way shape or form um, yeah, it's not as cold and detached either. No, not at all. Oh my god, in, in no way, shape, or form is it. I mean, when I first heard it, I was like, I thought it was just super consistent. I was like, it's good song after good song after good song after good song. And the hook stayed in my head. They have great grooves. Vocally, it's insane. I think what he does with the melodies on, on this is so like on point. So, um, you know, that's where I was with, uh, with Cat in the Hat. Now, now that we uh, have actually, or now that I sort of did that setup, look, now we can actually start chatting about and listening to the, to the album. So now I'm going to press stop and we'll be right back with Cat in the Hat. And we're going with Cat in the Hat. So, I said it has different drummers on this album. 
I don't really hear it as we go through necessarily, but it's uh, I do feel like that the the grooves that you hear are pretty consistent. So even though they switch drummers, uh, it's not like you can say it's not like it's not like Gaucho, you know, it's a different or other Steely Dan albums where it's a different you know drummer on each track. It sounds pretty consistent. Yeah. I have no way of knowing for sure, but I'm pretty sure the bass-drummer combo is the same on this track, wrong or right, and open your eyes. That's my hypothesis. Actually, no, that, that, that actually probably is true, because the, the drummer I mentioned, Harold Say, he, he wrote a, co-wrote a couple songs, so I was assuming the songs he co-wrote, he played on, but he's not on this one. But, uh... This is the chorus. I like these instrumental little passages. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's either It's Over or Mother of Creation. There's a couple really good solos on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the the way he builds up songs on this album, where each chorus kind of has a little more coming into it, and he develops parts as it's going through a song. Like, and then this falsetto thing here. He keeps transitioning into falsetto sections and almost using them. Oh, yeah, as, especially on pre-choruses. Yes, exactly. Pre-chorus, falsetto, where then it drops into a nice chorus. breakdown oh this part I think this is like the only use of slide guitar in like a yachty context slide guitar is never yachty at all but he manages to sort of uh, smooth out that slide Switches over to normal guitar, non-slide guitar. So you hear like the variation in the chorus. It has that backing vocal singing it. Like I think he does it here again. So it's like, that's what I keep hearing through the whole album, where it's, he establishes a chorus, then builds up the songs, has twists and turns, like it's like a yachty maze leading to, to the final chorus, and, and it keeps giving the listeners different sounds. I think this song was one of the potential singles that he put out. Uh, I don't know if it really did very much, but... It's a cool song. It's actually not my favorite song from the album. I like it, but I think there's ones that are even, even better. It's a good. It's a good album opener, though, for, for sure. It's a great album opener. Yeah. I would say it might be in my top three tracks from the record. Maybe top four. Nice. So top up, three. Up next top is uh, is this wrong or right? Or right? Or, I forget if it's right or wrong or wrong or right, but. 
So this one I could sort of see where you could say, is there like, is there a Stevie Wonder influence? I could, I think that's a fair thing to say, but it's not like he's ripping off Stevie Wonder. It's, uh, I was, I was gonna say the same thing about this track too. If there's one track where there might be Stevie Wonder influence heard, it's here. And I think part of that comes down to the chord progression, yeah. as much as the groove or, or even just how his voice sounds on the verse. Exactly, like just the fact that he he has influences. He he really makes stuff his own. And then here you go again with a great falsetto and pre-chorus. I think I like those falsettos and stuff because I wish I could do it. <laughs> Like that could... <laughs> you <and me> both. <laughs> so some of this music too, like just the way it's composed, and I think when we get up to the next bridge and stuff, that's like in terms of just like the way that the. Song is put together in the in the in the music sections, like the actual parts being written and played. I, I think there's certain like gaucho ness in terms of just like the. Yeah, probably on this tune too. Although it, it's a, it's just in small parts. Like a lot of times, it's when like the breakdowns and the bridge is coming back. Yeah, one of the next two tracks kind of has a. Uh has a feel similar to Babylon Sisters, I want to yeah. say. Yep. Just rhythmically. I can't think of which one it is off the top of my head. Bring the sax in. The drumming is, is like utterly in the pocket. There's not, there's not that many... I don't hear a lot of like drum fills. It's very much like... Get that groove going you know a sweetener here and there but just kind of consistently drive it yeah I mean that's why I think it's the same drummer on these first two tracks and Open Your Eyes because I think what makes the arrangement of Open Your Eyes so magical Mm -hmm. is how simple the drumming is and when it locks in with that bass line on the chorus it's just like man it fits so tight I would guess Ed Green So this is another like, all right, like kind of an ending like chorus-ish section here, right? And you hear that little backing vocal, and so then as this fades out, those backing vocals stay in. And he does one of my favorite things, which right here, where he brings in a, like a guitar line, like at, at the end of the song. So like he sort of sets up for this final little jam, and he writes these just these killer pretty simple guitar riffs and it's kind of like what he does at the end of what you won't do for love actually where uh, yeah you know, it just it's, sort it's of, got a little uh, got a little disco feel to it in yeah, this section too absolutely. it's worth noting that like this is on this is on TK which was a disco label at the time primarily I mean I think they put out some other stuff that's more similar to Bobby but a lot of disco records coming out on this label I think uh, I think that's fair. I mean, that probably comes into it with like because he does a falsetto, because there's a disco influence. Sometimes you know 
like that saying is like, oh, it, 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 how does it compare to the Bee Gees? And like, I like the Bee, I love the Bee Gees. Like the Gibb brothers write amazing songs. I don't hear. There's maybe one song where I, I can hear like a, a songwriting influence, but just because it's like he does falsetto and Barry Gibb does falsetto, that's like being like saying like Michael McDonald plays the electric piano the same way that Donald Fagan plays the electric piano, just because they both do it. It's like. I don't know. I, I think Bobby Caldwell really brings enough of his own personality to be able to do falsetto and not have to deal with, uh, you know. Oh yeah, it's a it's a totally different energy and feeling. Yeah. And like I think he uses falsetto for a very different purpose. Absolutely. Than the Bee Gees do. Yeah, they're very like straightforward with it. Really, he he just like he his, his is like pinpoint tool. So um, next song, to know what you got. This is my favorite song on the album. This one. This one is when we play, whenever I DJ out and I play a Bobby Caldwell song, it's usually this one. This is my, uh, and th- this also one stays in my head, it stayed in my head for like a month too. Oh, another thing he does, he puts that little vibrato like tremolo sound on his voice that will come back in a few other songs too. Yeah. And I think since the drummer co-wrote this song I don't know if it feels like the drumming on this one even pulls me in even more like it's almost it was written for the groove as opposed to a song that was written then the drummer would put a part over it just that's just me reading into it though this is probably the one that I remember being really gaucho like I don't know why I thought I drew a battle on Sisters comparison, but that's obviously not what I was thinking of. But this is definitely the one that sounds most like Couch on me. Yeah. Another cool guitar guitar line. He's a really good guitar player. I don't know if he you really play guitar as much as his career progressed but in his early days when he would when he would kind of lay down a guitar line it, would, it I mean I was it always blows me away and it's not like you know technically it's just like what he the way he plays it what he writes it's really cool so another thing about this song too actually that I wrote down is it's like all right this sounds like 1980s yacht. Maybe there was some, as you said, like gaucho. Maybe there was something in the air just from the era, whatever. But you know what really separates it is Bobby Caldwell, as you know, as we know, he was influenced by the crooners. And it's like, this song is like, it's almost croon, like a crooner singing yacht rock. And he's bringing the two together. Uh, and I, I think that's what really makes it original, actually. And... As I was re-listening to it, it, it almost it, it almost made me think like when I think about on the other side of the pond, like a, a Brian Ferry, who was like Euro, but he had that croon going on. Uh, this is a little before like the Avalon album in terms of timing, but like I was like almost like oh you know like. Brian Ferry has this crooner thing where he he brings it up into you know whether or not Roxy music or on his solo stuff he sort of brought it into the you know 70s and 80s where but it had sort of that euro kind of feel whereas Bobby Caldwell took that did that same thing but it was more like the American sort of soul uh, and and just in general like you know everything that is yacht rock kind of brought this crooning style into it 
And uh, I, I actually, Roxy Music was like my favorite band in high school. So like, I'm not sure if maybe I was either reading into it or maybe that is why I responded so much to this album because there is a, you know, there is that element where it is kind of that crooning style, but brought in, into a different context. So let's see. All right, what do we got here? Um, this is You Promised Me. It's the uh, last song on the first side. And this is a this cool... is probably the slow point of the album for me. So this is an interesting song. Um, this, this verse... I'll use the nice term sophisticated, but it's very like kind of open. But his melody is, his vocal melody is just like great over it, but it's almost like experimental. And then pre-chorus, and what, guess what's going to happen here? He's going to go into a falsetto. Yeah, the verse is interesting because his, his melody is hanging a lot on like those real upper extensions yes. of the chords. So it's, it's very, very jazz-like in that way. But then it drops into this chorus. Now this is just the first chorus we end up in, but the chorus is pretty straightforward. And then it jumps back into kind of more of that open. So like, we'll hear it as the song goes on, but I like this song because the verses are so kind of different and transitions into the pre-chorus. And then it has a, I mean, the chorus is great. It just almost hidden hidden amongst the song. So it's like I listen to this one, I'm like, dude, this is uh this is like almost too good of a song to ever be a hit. It's like too cool for the general populace what he what he's actually doing here. More falsetto and then chorus. drum there's no like snare on the two i think the snare is hitting on the four it almost <laughs> the end of two yeah. Oh, yeah yeah and like it has a little open hi-hat after i may get in the timing right wrong but uh it was almost like progressive yacht, yacht rock like it reminded me of kind of like phil collins drum parts on some like early genesis sections <laughs> like where you know he's kind of hitting on weird times and opening his hi-hat uh, but, but grooving not that progressive rock had a lot of groove in it but um, yeah this thing right here that drum part kind of makes this song too. It's like if it was just a straight ahead you know it definitely yeah it holds them together yes into uh, so like these instrumental sections they're, they're really subtle you know it's like he's not overdoing anything I think it's interesting on the back half of the record how the solo sections open up a little more yeah I think that's him on vibraphone too. Oh, 
fading out. And if it was a record, I'd just flip it over. But it's a cassette, so uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to flip the tape. All right, let me make sure. Uh, good. Let's fast forward to the end. Of it. Here, all this like some ASMR moments here. Ready? Everyone's favorite type of ASMR. The <laughs> cassette yeah. sound of motors whirring. <laughs> See if all right. So if I have, if I did this right, actually, you know me. Oh yeah, I did it right. All right. Even more fun for everybody. All right. So we're gonna start off with uh, the so- first song on the second side. It's called "It's Over." So, I guess it's a weird title. Great song, yeah, great song. Weird title to start aside with. But... Should have put that at the end of side A. He really should have. I know. I know. Uh, let me see. Do All right. And we're playing, so it should start up in a second here. As the tape. That's right. Weird beginning to this song. It's almost like that kind of... I talked about this on Mark Jordan's, where you have these like little standalone intros before we kick in right here. It's a great, great side opener track, though. Like, good, good little reset halfway through the record. Absolutely. There's some sweet bass slaps on this one. Yeah, this is probably my fourth favorite song on the record for those following my rankings. (laughs) I I also looked at all the lyrics from this album. And maybe one of the reasons why it's consistent because it's just like the pain of heartbreak, the pain of love, the pain of something ending. It's like all the lyrics are just pretty... uh, Maybe that's maybe that kind of reminds me of Brian Ferry as well, because it's this crooner singing about lost love. But that's kind of like classic pop, pop craft songwriting, anyways. This this great one falsetto pre-chorus with some great synth lines. Yeah, this one would be one where I'd say, if someone was to say, "Oh, it sounds like the Bee Gees," he does sound like Barry Gibb there. I think. I think there's a couple of songs. Yeah, but the, I don't know. The Bee Gees never, like... They were never uh, Not to say that the Bee Gees aren't groovy, because they've got their own groove, but, like, I don't know. I feel like there's no Bee Gees records that have, like, a pocket like this. Oh, totally. I mean... I, you know, I think, what, the Bee Gees always wrote songs probably with some sort of Beatles influence uh, in the in, in what they were doing. And this is this is, like... As I said, this is, like, not... There's no like Brit British kind of Beatles or whatever influence. This is like American sort of soul, uh, along with maybe like '50s crooner types going in with. What's that? I was just gonna say I'm surprised that no one's taken like a drum loop from this and sampled it. And I know obviously uh, we'll talk about big hip hop samples in a minute. Oh sure. But I feel like the pocket on this track could totally work. Absolutely. Do flip into a beat. I think there's an open drum loop towards the front. I don't I know. So. Maybe I'll have to uh, might have to grab that one myself. Oh, sounds like a light bulb went off there. You could take these eight measures right here, whoever's mm-hmm. listening. You're right. This is it. This is the hit. Just slow that down a little bit. And a couple end, other drums over it. That's a cool groove at the end. I mean, obviously, it's a cool groove at the end. And then what do we go into? 
the big song. I see you. My favorite Bobby Caldwell song of all time. <laughs> what you won't do, be damned. This is the one. Well, the John John Le- John Legend covered it, right? Honestly, not sure I've even heard the John Legend cover. It's good. It's good. He sings it good. I don't think it's better. I think it's just good in its own way. It's hard to beat the arrangement. Yeah. Of this. And then, I mean, Common, he did the song "The Light." Right? Yeah, produced by Jay Dilla. Great flip. And that, but that 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 at least makes it its own song. It's not a cover. He just takes a sample and, and makes it into a different song. Oh yeah, I mean Dilla crafts it in a very loving way. That, that piano, uh, that piano thing is like if you took the hold the li- hold the line Toto part and just put it into a ballad. There's no rocking. Well, the thing I love about the chorus, especially, is that missed beat one that happens halfway yes. through it. Yeah, that gives it such a great, such a great groove. This second verse, his vocals, I think this is like the best thing on the album. This little section. Yeah, it's just one of those songs where every part of it works. Every piece, and then the arrangement as a whole. Feels to the drums, it's so simple. Yeah. And here comes that missed beat one again. And he keeps developing stuff, so it's not just like the same chorus, the same thing again. He starts. He's gonna start addling. He can. He starts putting some guitars in there behind the scenes, and that's gonna build up. It's still, re- it's still restrained. But here key change. Yep. And I think this is actually two guitars. Yeah. Kind of, one's finishing the other one's part. You get the low thing and get the high part. This has got to be one of the great understated solo sections Absolutely. of the rock history. <laughs> Two smooth, interwoven guitars playing a restrained melody over just a, uh, that, like, you know, simple piano riff. Uh. This track is a masterclass in rhythm section arrangements, though, just how the bass and the drums and the keys and the guitar line up. Yep. You know, on this album, I think because it didn't have the same kind of commercial success, a lot of this stuff, which I think is just like, you know, not to blow smoke up Bobby Caldwell's butt, but I think it's just genius. I think he got away from some of these elements as he went forward, uh, trying to just, you know, saying, oh, maybe this is not what people want. Maybe they don't want, you know, subtlety. You need to be a little... Uh, more on the nose with either being a crooner or you know just making 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 like straight ahead pop songs. But um, that's one of the, maybe one of the things about this album I, I like as well is that it is kind of like a unique. Ooh, here we go, a unique uh, album within his own catalog. So now this yeah. song, Mother of Creation, this is kind of a change of pace. This is uh, 
This has a little bit of a different feel to it. And even uh, lyrically, this is the one song that's not about like all the pain of heartbreak or pain of love. This is a more like, I'm going to do what I want to do song. <laughs> like, I'm going to do this, this the way... This is the track with the great jazz solos on it, too. Yeah. The, uh, I think there's both a sax solo and a trumpet solo, if I remember correctly. Uh, but I, yeah. I remember them both being really solid and melodically interesting. There may even be... And I want to be a spoiler alert. There may even be a French horn solo, if I hear it correctly, somewhere in here. I just remember the sax solo having some pretty hip lines in it. Yeah, yeah. This one also. I could say it has a Stevie Wonder sound to it. I still don't think it's a ripoff, but... instruments just kind of come in and then I know he plays vibraphone on this one too so that, that is Bobby Caldwell on some vibraphones in the background I think for an album this is like a really solid like you know mid side B song. It's a change of pace, but it, it has it definitely you know it, it, well, this this album also closes with one of my favorite like energy arcs on an album, which is like you have sort of a climax here and then the yes. last track is kinda of like the come down. The ballad, exactly. This is the big energy one and yeah. I, 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 I didn't even think about that how like because there's not that many songs. I think there's just eight songs. So it's like as far as the number of songs it's pretty short. But yeah you're right. It does do sort of the high, the, quote, the relatively high energy song in this, to then just drop down with a closer, which comes up next. Like I said, it's like the verses are about him sort of, I'm going to do what I want, you can't tell me what to do type thing. And then I don't, the mother of creation, I, I never read enough to know what, what really he's talking about. So it's a little more obtuse as opposed to like every other song that's just, you know, I loved you. Why did you break my heart? Why did you do me like this? Or you love me and I don't love you. I, that, that's pretty much like the... That's like the standard thing he's been running through the entire album until uh, until this song. But yet again, nothing wrong with a change of pace on the second song. And then this is a longer uh, 
jam that we're looking at here too at the end of the song. I think after his What You Won't Do For Love and the way it stretches out at the end of the song, he just wanted to incorporate that in a lot of songs on this album. I got nothing against that. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's totally cool. It's like you write a great song, then then tack on a whole like, ooh. Now this is the final song. Beautiful song. Yeah, I think it's a great album closer. The clean guitar on it almost like starts to fade in with the electric piano and they start to almost sound like each other. There we go. There's a, that vibrato on the vocal that he does. Like, think on the chorus of this one I was saying this maybe has a little bit of a Bee Gees um, melody to it maybe it's like a it's like a gaucho gib thing because it's pretty smooth too if uh, if while recording Gaucho, Be- Becker and Fagan had just had a complete blowout, and Donald Fagan was like, "God damn it, I'm bringing in the Bee Gees to finish up this album," and <laughs> like they just like cooled down for a minute. Yeah, and just were like, okay, uh, it could have been this song <laughs> potentially. That's like a Mar- like Marvel's what ifs, like uh, what if. I do that a lot with Steely Dan. What if Steely Dan had broken yeah. up and then did this thing? It always involves them broke, breaking up and then Donald Fagan going and searching out some other musician. And like, maybe this would happen. I always wonder what if they kept more than uh, seven seconds of Mark Knopfler on time out of mind. <laughs> I always thought it was weird that Mark Knopfler played on time to begin with. Like, How did that happen? If Cass was here, she would say, one would she be like, probably happened because of cocaine. But <laughs> yeah. But we're getting off topic <laughs> in terms of this beautiful Bobby Caldwell ballad here. Uh, this, now, you know, this would be like the song we'd be like, this is the romance song. This is... Uh, I think someone in a review mentioned this album was a good was a good makeout album too. So it's like it's 1980-81. You're with someone special in a very dim lighting yet pastel decorated room. 
It almost feels too melancholy for me. Like, uh-huh. I'm just especially sensitive to that in songs, mm. I think, but... It would put you out of the mood. Huh. It's t- it's I think, t- yeah, I think it, it... I don't know why I feel... Maybe just because it's the album closer. Yeah. I assign it that context. Hmm. But yeah, feels melancholy to me. Maybe uh, maybe Bobby Caldwell missed the mark. Maybe he was trying to make a a smoocher, and it, it's like I mean, maybe this is the song that set him up for a you know long lonely existence as a lounge <laughs> singer in Japan. <laughs> That's right. He was uh, Mr. AOR. And, uh, I think this album, this is the only album of his that actually has his face on it. I think too. So you might be right. After that, they're just like we're going back to just the. The, the uh, I think there's some '90s albums of his. Oh, you know what? You it. you are right. There there is one from the ni- the '90s. That is, that is true. But for the next couple records, he goes back to the you know silhouette yep. on the road color scheme thing. So that's the album. It's a great record. Oops. Some more cassette ASMR for a second here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so he finished that album. And as we've said, it was sort of lukewarm, I guess, which is unfortunate because it, it is such a great album but I think after that you know he made he he started working with more of the Toto guys uh, as backup bands made more more kind of more pop I think it I felt like and started bringing the kind of crooning in and also he transitioned more to kind of an adult contemporary sound as as he moved uh, you know past or in, into the 80s I mean this album was 1980 and then I think his next one was, I want to say, 82, and it already kind of started to sound a little more in the direction of, uh, of, of an adult contemporary sound. And then I also read that mid-80s, I think, uh, I believe it was Mr. Boz Skaggs had a conversation with Bobby Caldwell and said, you should start writing songs for uh, other people. And so, you know, and he, and he did that, that song, uh, The Next Time I Fall in Love... Uh, which oh was, yeah. He, so you know that's that's like <laughs> that's kind of like an adult contemporary uh, soft rock you know staple. But then he wrote songs for like Neil Diamond, Al Jarreau, uh, Chicago through the eighties and nineties, uh, and then you know it, and that kind of kept going really uh, until like twenty fifteen where he did uh, Cool Uncle uh, and um, kind of modernized his the sound of everything a bit more and then you know started having and as we said common did the did use a sample uh john Le- legend did a cover and i would have i mean 2015 being five years ago i would have thought that more would have happened after that on the cool uncle front i would have thought just like that bobby caldwell would have been maybe kind of you know, outdoing more in that modern sound. But from what I gather, he sort of just went back to, you know, kind of what he, what he had been doing before, just sort of crooning, you know, playing classic standard type things, 
uh, not Yachty, not really modern R&B too much either. And uh, I don't know, maybe uh, I, I wish you I wish you would do more of it because uh, you just listen to that album Cat in the Hat and you can just hear what this guy still you know has and then even as I said what he did on Cool Uncle what he still has but um, he probably does make more money uh, doing you know given what people what they want yeah that's a good point and uh, that's a good point I'm sure Cool Uncle is not a uh, huge revenue generator as <laughs> cool as it was yeah exactly uh, if if only everyone in the world thought like the way i did but then then everyone then everyone <laughs> yeah, right. would be a cassette dj with a uh, questionable podcast so. <laughs> but, we need more cassette djs <laughs> well we had an episode a few episodes back where we talked to i think the only other one we were aware of uh out in michigan but maybe uh maybe more will, will pop up yeah but, i mean there's definitely folks that do it and just aren't dedicated to yeah. the format you know right oh yeah there, there are people who do it but there's i guess in terms of doing st- specifically uh yacht rock slash soft rock uh specifically on cassettes yeah I think oh yeah yeah. yeah yeah that's a good point but um anyways well hey listen i think uh that's pretty much gonna wrap up this episode so um you can stay on the line afterwards but uh I just want to say I really want to thank you for coming on here. And uh, if anyone wants to hear more of Ryan and Camino '84, especially the new album, the all-new Camino '84, where where would you? Th- I mean, it's on Spotify, but where where is there any other place you'd say, hey, go listen to it here or or uh, check it out? Anything you wanted to share on that? Yeah, if you check out uh, Camino84.com, mm-hmm. that should be your portal to all things related. Nice. Um, and let me actually, I'll I'll do a yacht rock specific plug. Yep. There's a off overlooked uh, remix I did mm-hmm. for a duo called Island Fever. But if you go on Spotify mm-hmm. and look for the uh, Camino eighty four remix of We're Not Broken by Island Fever, cool. that is probably my favorite slice of yacht rock I've ever produced. Versus you know the yacht rock breaks tapes, which mm-hmm. are really just compilations. Yep, I'll check that out. I, I wasn't aware of that. I, I need to go uh, go take a listen to it. But, oh right on yeah you'll you'll dig it it's great very yachty. well listen uh thanks again for calling in uh thanks for responding when i put out my plea on twitter and uh, yeah i'm always down to chat yeah rock absolutely and listen uh you know uh definitely take care of yourself stay in touch and everybody out there um you know wishing everyone the best and everyone stay safe stay healthy and uh you know i hope distanced yes distance for now but i hope i hope uh sooner than later we'll all get to maybe hang out and uh be out in the sun having a good time together uh listening to some yacht rock that's uh fingers crossed exactly all right man thanks again and i'll I'll, yeah thank you for having me we'll talk to y'all later